this session so we can get it up. So welcome to everybody for the uh, TechConnect CIO peer group. We're honored to have uh, Anthony Iannucci here, but I am not going to take that. I'm going to pass it over to Jamal, who facilitates this peer group, and let Jamal make the introductions and, and run the session. So thank you very much, Jamal. Thank you, Kelly. Um, well, uh, good morning and uh, welcome everyone to today's uh, CIO peer group. And actually, first of all, I'd like to start by thanking both Ryan and Kelly for doing these online sessions uh, and sort of keeping all the TechConnect activities going. Um, and, you know, since uh, in this current situation, we seem to have moved very seamlessly from face-to-face -face sessions to uh, online sessions. So thank you very much, uh, Ryan and uh, Kelly, uh, for that. Uh, uh, today, we're actually very fortunate to have uh, Anthony Iannucci uh, with us today. Uh, he's uh, currently the CIO at uh, City of Richmond Hill uh, uh, with a lot of experience in uh, uh, doing uh, uh, transformations and uh, continuous improvement and a lot of uh, time spent at the TTC. So I'll let uh, Anthony uh, uh, provide more on his background when it's his turn to speak. Uh, in terms of the agenda, I thought it would be useful to just go around the sort of virtual table and if we could all introduce ourselves a little bit very shortly, uh, just a name, organization, a role, and just go around the table so that way Anthony has a sense of uh, who's uh, in our virtual meeting today, okay? Um, so I will go get the ball rolling and perhaps we can end with Anthony and then Anthony you take it from uh, after your introduction and just take it from there, okay? So my name is Jamal Shah. I am the managing partner at Causal Effects. And uh, myself and my business partner, Ray, we help facilitate the CIO forums at TechConnect, among other things. Jamal, did you want to pass it along? Because you can see, and then I think people are wary about jumping in. Okay, I can't actually see very many people right now on Okay. Uh, Are you okay. so I'll, hand it over to, I'll, ha I'll hand it over to Radha. Radha Krishnan. Radha, you're muted. There we uh, go. Hi, Jamal. Hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is Radha Krishnan. I'm the CIO of Seneca College. Perfect. And then uh, we might as well go over to Brenda. I'll unmute Brenda. Hi, Brenda Osler from the City of Richmond Hill Economic Development. And then I see Aurora. Oops. Good morning. Uh, my name is Aurora Sokac. Uh, uh, I represent Nofix High Tech Services. We're a technology company. Um, looking forward to today's session. And Doug? Uh, I'm Doug Weir, president of Alpha Insights, which is an executive search and con coaching firm that works with the technology sector, both vendors and users of technology, including CIOs. Perfect. And Ray? Yeah, who also morning. facilitates. Yes, good morning. I'm Ray Gilbert. I work with Jamal and we are, are focused on, uh, currently focused on looking and finding some uh, additional partners we can work with in the artificial intelligence space. But good morning, everyone. Okay, and I, I'm trying to unmute uh, Kayoko. I think you're on mute, Kayoko. There, whoops. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. I unmuted myself, but I think you unmuted me and we did it. <laughs> 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 uh, 
everybody for uh, taking the time and I'm not sure I'm as interesting as some of the people that I just heard introduce themselves so I have a feeling maybe any one of you could probably be having this conversation. Um, some of you I've known I mean I've known Land for I don't know Land it's been I mean a couple of years right just after you <laughs> we're not we haven't been around that long but uh, and obviously Jamal and and uh, Ray I've known for uh, just in and out in different conferences. So I, I guess I prepared a presentation that you know, the conversation was about the CIO journey. And I'm looking at, uh, again, I'm looking at people in front of me who seem to be quite uh, um, you know, successful in their own rights already and from a career perspective. So um, I, perhaps this is something that will be shared uh, uh, you know, more with people who are working on their careers. But I think, I think there are bits and pieces that uh, would resonate with any one of us uh, as we've gone through our careers and as we continue to do so. Um, so I started my career in the business and, uh, you know, not in IT. And I think that was, uh, was very fortuitous. I think it, it helped me to be able to, to know uh, what it is that IT really should be doing versus maybe what some of the things that you would, uh, you would normally think of IT when you talk about technologies and those types of things. So I started in the paratransit business. For those of you who are familiar in Toronto, that's Wheeltrans. And, um, you know, typically I ended up being in a place where uh, there was a problem or a challenge. And um, so for people who I, I spend my time mentoring, I always look at uh, taking some famous quotes or famous words from, from the past and using them to kind of make a point, right? So in this particular case, you know, chance favors the prepared mind. And uh, that's Louis Pasteur, by the way. I'm not smart enough to make up stuff like that. 
So uh, he was he was talking about observation and experiments, but at the same time, it's the same it's the same so it can also be applied to business. Um, and the problem was there was a transformation project that was failing, and that project was transforming the business I was in, which was uh, scheduling and paratransit uh, at the at the TTC. And I got an opportunity to work on this project and come out of the operations area and become a subject matter expert. And I think that the biggest part of, of uh, learning for me when it came to that is to make sure that, you know, we're focused on the goals, focused on the goals of the business as we're delivering uh, technology. So it gave me a great opportunity to learn methodologies, SDLC project methodology, um, quality assurance methodologies. And it just took somebody who was pretty much, you know, uh, uh, an operations kid and, and kind of dealing with uh, problems on the road and dealing with uh, buses smashing into each other and all of the interesting things that happen during a uh, during a day. But it was a great time for me because it gave me a chance to uh, to go and try something new. And I think no matter where you are in your career, anytime you get a chance to try something new, it's invigorating. And uh, that's that was the opportunity uh, for me. So and I, I have a little note here that anyone who is a technology historian or a bit of a geek uh, can contact me later because I love talking about this project because it's truly transformational um, with algorithms that were created when I thought that wasn't even possible in 1993 um, that uh, and before the time of GPS. So very, very uh, interesting project. But that moved me to from from being in operations to into technology and becoming the support person for this system as well as the data go to person before there was all the data analytics we talk about today. But, um, you know, it's how opportunities present themselves. Let's see if I, so I made some notes here so I don't ramble too much, but I'll probably be rambling anyway. So on the, on the history part two, right? Um, you know, I, I quoted Edison here because Edison is, uh, is another one who, maybe not a, maybe a controversial type, but uh, the reason a lot of people don't recognize opportunity is because it usually goes around wearing overalls and looks like hard work. Um, and this is a little bit of a, a, you know, it's not, it's not meant to be, it's not to meant to be a criticism, but it is meant, I've, I've sat with a lot of people and, and mentored a lot of people who want the next step or they want the next great thing, um, but they somehow want it to come to them. Um, or they aren't ready to maybe take a step down, to take a step sideways, to take a step back up again, because they're looking for something different. Um, so... The second part of uh, my career was moving to IT specifically. And I think coming from the business, it allowed me to, uh, to really be able to connect and align my, the service I was providing to subway operations, which was the crustiest customer the TTC had at the time. I don't, you know, I don't think I can overstate, nor can I use most of the words I learned um, in dealing with this group, right? Um, think about it, you know, they spend time in the tunnels, they deal with some very heavy machinery. It's a train system after all. And uh, certainly a lot of dangerous situations as well as transit control and, um, and the training of operators and, and uh, people who run uh, machines, etc. But I, I think that the philosophy for me there that, that really worked, and I, I know that a lot of people, again, who have been uh, doing this thing for a long time, is you know, not to be a technology person because that's the last thing people wanna hear is they don't wanna hear you talking some very great technology terms that don't mean anything to them. 
It's really about share ownership of the business problem. Uh, seek to understand what the business problem is and share ownership of it. That will allow you to then be able to bring solutions or work through solutions, as well as helping the business understand that nothing's going to happen if they are not fully engaged, if they're not fully interested in being able to, uh, being able to come to the, to, to the table and solve these problems, right? Because as IT people, whether, or anyone who's here, who's here to help, um, you know, we can, we can share in the problem, we can't own it uh, totally. But it is important to be able to speak it in the terms of the business as opposed to in the terms of IT. I've seen many IT people who are very smart, um, but aren't able to cross that, cross that bridge. And I think it's, I think it's really important. Um, we, we had a large, a big project to revamp how the bus garages worked. It was one of the things I did uh, later in my career. And every time I would send my IT people into the bus garage, I, you know, I told them they had a new dress code. I didn't want to see a tie. I didn't want to see a shirt. You know, I wanted to see a golf shirt, bare jeans, uh, you know, don't go in there looking like you, you want to be the smartest person in the room. Cause you're probably not. Somebody can point that at a bus and show you how dumb you really are when it comes to uh, making these uh, big beasts move. So it was, uh, it's really important to meet the business on their terms, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So when we, uh, when we took on that, I mean, a part of that was sort of developing a, a customer service mindset as well, uh, because now you're trying to help business, but you're also dealing with day-to-day -day operational issues. And one of the things I noticed is people would shy away from the customer that's currently unhappy. I remember getting into my office and having 11 voicemails uh, every morning because, you know, the call center wasn't working in those days. The types of things that were happening weren't, weren't um, to the business's satisfaction. It was a lead up to Y2K. We were way far behind in uh, technology. And, um, you know, I would go through my voicemail and undoubtedly there'd be one person there who was the angriest of all. And my colleagues would hear some of these just because, it became a little bit of a, you know, commiseration, misery, misery loves company kind of thing as we're listening. But I would always call the uh, crustiest or more angry person first. And, and everybody's wondering why you, why you want to start your day like that. And it's always because, well, I, I'm, there's two problems here, though. The longer that person waits for me to call them back, the crustier they're going to get. And, uh, and certainly, secondly, I'm fretting about it now all day. And it's kind of, I'm worried about how this conversation is going to go and I'm going to carry it with me uh, with this, this sense of dread. So when I, when I uh, speak to people about that kind of thing, I always talk about, you know, tackle these things head on. Uh, you'll feel better at the, whatever the hardship is or whatever the horrible business is, um, you'll be able to, to get to the other side of it and get on with, with reality. Um, so after I today, Basically, what happened is uh, uh, Louis Pasteur and, and, and uh, Thomas Edison came together, and um, most of the IT leadership left. Uh, Lan knows one of them very well, John Davies, who went on to private, uh, you know, everybody went after Y2K to find their fortune because the, the bubble was still growing at that time, and uh, it was before the tech bubble burst. So we lost the CIO, we lost the director of technical services, we lost the manager of uh, networks all in one day. And uh, this is where uh, I got asked if I wanted to take over a large division that I truly was going to say no. 
And so went ahead and, and uh, took that on. But again, uh, I think that the good, the good news was uh, shortly after that, we, they brought in a new CIO. And his name was John Cannon. And I think some people know John Cannon from, uh, from the times where you know, we would have been at conferences together and, and, uh, and worked together at the City of Toronto and, and at TTC. And John wasn't a technical person, but John was a strong, uh, had a strong project background. And I think the most important part for me as a sort of a younger person who got thrust, the, the mantle of greatness thrust upon him, as it were, uh, he was a great coach. He was a great mentor. And what I learned from, uh, from John is obviously to give that back. Sometimes we would have some knockdown, drag out fights and all the rest of that. But it was always, it was always for you know, him trying to teach me some kind of lesson or soften my horns, as they say, um, to, to sort of help me develop. And those are the kinds of things I think that now in my career, um, you know, just it resonates with me. And I, you know, John passed away in 2011. He's been gone for a long time, but still kind of in my thoughts as I go through my career all the time. So we became quality focused, um, building a strong team and started to introduce things like technical architecture and rationalization. And this is where technology after Y2K was kind of all over the place. And it allowed me to develop as a leader and uh, uh, learn a little bit more of the political landscape, which was something that I was far behind on and obviously support uh, John and, and the success of the organization. So history continues. And uh, for this one, I have nothing. I don't have uh, Pasteur and I don't have Edison to help me. But uh, you know, in the next part of this was, it was 2010 and it was one of the you know, sort of worst, uh, worst years uh, that I've had in my career. And I think we've all had some of these, people call it the honest horribilis or or the horrible year. And that's the year John passed away. And that's the year that uh, a number of friends passed away at, uh, at work. And um, again, this is where now I get the call. And the call is, guess what, you're CIO, um, because John, uh, you know, is sick. And um, everything came to bear when it comes to, to the things that I had learned over my career from, from a business perspective, from a business relationships, the mentoring, the philosophies, and uh, it was in a remarkable stressful time. But uh, I think the important part around all of that was developing a great team and mentoring staff. What John had sort of, you know, uh, worked with me on and, and helped me to learn and understand was the kind of, you're able to sort of revert to that and, and get there. So getting down more into running an IT shop, now that we've, we, we've got a bit of a the history, the history uh, of uh, how I ended up where I did. In some cases, it was a little bit of chaos, but the goal was now to bring order to that chaos because uh, some things just happen to us. We don't always get to decide. And um, developing that great team, working more, I think my career, and I think the career, IT started to move more towards architecture and strategic planning. There were those types of things in the past, don't get me wrong, uh, it didn't just all happen uh, in after Y2K, but I think Y2K threw enough of a monkey wrench into a lot of organizations, especially ones like ours that were so far behind technologically and weren't necessarily all rowing in the same direction. And when you're not, that's a big problem in IT. Um, so using things like strategic planning, enterprise architecture, and making sure my, my organization was aligned with business. It was really 
spending a lot of time being that translator, being that person who's translating business to your technical people or to the people who have been IT career their whole life and really have never been to a shop floor, you know, other than using the system, really didn't understand it. I asked my uh, counterparts in the operations area to hold tours for my IT staff to get developers out from behind their desks and into a shop to see what what they're developing and, and how it's helping the business to sort of build more alignment. Uh, reorganize the organization to make a strong team to deliver value and, and sort of downplaying the idea that it's technology and more about um, you know, developing teams to deliver value in general as far as running the business. We did application rationalization. All of those nice things that are that are the IT um, sort of the IT go-tos as you're trying to deliver on something like this. And uh, we were recognized by Excellence Canada as a, as a, for, for quality, which was, which was uh, uh, remarkable for the team. And we laid the foundation for business transformation projects. I, I, I no longer believe we should be calling these IT projects. I think IT projects are replacing server infrastructure. IT projects are replacing networks. Uh, IT projects are not ERPs and, uh, and uh, replacing large operational systems as we have done. Those are business transformation projects. Um, so laying the groundwork for that. And uh, after, you know, I reached 30 years, 31 years at that point, and things started to get a little more political and things started to get a little more interesting from an organization perspective. So uh, that's where I kind of made a decision and said, well, I've, I've done all I think I can do here and um, sort of help to build my replacement, which I think we all should be thinking about in business. Uh, make sure you're building your replacement and you know who's going to be able to take over for you if you're running a shop for, uh, I mean, it's, if you're independent, you're independent. Your business is you, as I am, I guess, right now. Um, but even with Richmond Hill, uh, you know, we've been working on building the replacement. You should always have that regardless of where in the organization you sit. And I think we all uh, have seen that in our careers. So I moved on to my next phase. And I, and I guess the last phase, phase six of the history, I think everybody's still awake. I think there's a couple of people there. I think we're down nodding off, but I'm watching you. I think all the ones who have their cameras uh, off are sleeping now, but that's okay. Um, so I guess the last phase is the phase I'm in now, and that's keep learning and, and, uh, giving back. And I think a lot of us are in that phase, just from what I hear, what people are working on. Um, so delivering an ambitious IT strategy for Richmond Hill, I had a great opportunity to do that. Great team of people. Uh, everyone at Richmond Hill, honestly, is a really uh, great group of people to work with. Getting a chance to mentor and develop the next leaders, um, large business transformation projects. Again, ERP being the biggest one, it's always a challenge. Um, and moving to a more digital organization, which is where we're, we're headed to now. And I think, I think most places are going there. I don't talk about digital strategy. Uh, I've seen a lot of great digital strategies, right? They're about this thick and they sit on a, uh, they sit on a shelf uh, or they're a wonderful presentation that you paid 60 or 70 or 100 grand to some organization to come and do for you. Um, I, really, I, I really think it's, it's, I mean, if you and I've said it before, if you want it, I'll put one together for you. Um, so you could say you can touch it, but I think it's more important to be looking at what processes we have right now and how we can move them to more digital, uh, to more digital space. 
less hands touching along the assembly line, I like to say, uh, to get people to understand what we mean by moving to digital. And uh, so my lessons learned. I'm going to wrap this up with uh, with lessons learned, and then I'm hoping to have uh, some discussion and maybe some uh, some a little talk about uh, COVID-19 and what this means to the future of uh, of work. I have some thoughts on that, but I'd like to do that as a group. So obviously, uh, the first thing, I think we've all heard about it, but emotional intelligence from a personal perspective, I think if you're mentoring and helping people work through their careers, that's number one. And I think if you're if you're not able to maintain yourself or able to read people when it comes to what they're feeling and, and getting work done, you're going to have a hard time. From a team and IT perspective, alignment with the business is critical. You become irrelevant as IT really fast uh, if you're not aligning with the business. Uh, I've seen situations where people are kind of the no department, right? Well, IT is the no department. You know, everything we ask for, well, we can't do that because and we can't do this because the idea is that working within frameworks, um, you can do pretty much anything the business is, is asking for. You just have to think about the things that are important to, to protect, uh, but you don't need to really bother the business about those things. There's always a way to do it. Finally, I guess uh, a couple more things, I guess. People process technology in that order. Um, you know, when people look at when I when I'm listening to somebody tell me about what they think we should be doing or what direction the organization should be taking, I'm always looking for those three things, but I'm looking for them in that order. Uh, it's not a technology first thing. It's got to be a people first thing. Um, and then if you haven't rationalized your processes and you really don't understand how your business runs, applying technology to it just means it's going to be chaos a lot faster. Um, and I've seen a lot of money wasted in the direction of applying technology to processes that are weak or, or broken or poorly understood. Uh, use methodologies, but be agile and flexible. It's important uh, because methodologies are, uh, you know, for any type of methodology, it's really about providing a guidance or a framework to deliver, but not necessarily going to solve all the world's problems. Uh, so understanding them is great. Like they say, you know, the best people who know how to break the rules best are the people who understand them really well. So I have a lot of respect for, for, for methodologies and professionals to follow through methodologies. They're also the ones who will tell you where, yeah, we can kind of, we can kind of leave this one because the risk, managing the risk is, is uh, doable. Um, stay current and seek those in your field. I think this group epitomizes that. Um, and I, I think in, as I go on in my career and the, the however much longer I'll be doing this, it's, it's basically a cycle of learn, teach, learn, and repeat. Um, because you're, you're constantly learning what's working and what's not working. And then, of course, smile, right? Because you always have to be smiling because a lot of exciting stuff happens. So I had one last slide. One slide I'm going to actually show. Let's see if I can make this work. And it's all about, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people uh, put up these fantastic business, uh, you know, Carnegie or something Bill Gates said, or, uh, you know, Warren Buffett and all these wonderful people. So one of my, uh, certainly not a business mentor, not a mentor for me at all, but I, I think every, every once in a while, uh, wisdom comes from strange places. So I'm just going to put this up so everybody can see it because I think it's, uh, let's see.
No, I don't see it yet. Does anybody see it? Oh, you got yes. it. Yeah, yeah, it's there. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's Mike Tyson, right? Yes. Right. So everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> so what? So what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it, it means that um, you 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 know you in in the in boxing. I got to figure out how to give this screen back. I got to figure out how to get out of, get out of this mode. But but everyone trains. Everyone uses methodologies. Everyone uh, tries to do all the most effective planning that they can possibly do. Um, and then when you get right into it, whether it's delivering an ERP project, whether it's doing a renovation on your house, whether it's any one of those things, um, the punch in the mouth is going to come. What is it going to be? I don't know. But this is why we talk about you got to stay agile. You got to roll with those punches. You can't let it get you down. Uh, and, and uh, you know, persistence and perseverance is really important. So I think I figured out how to stop sharing this. Let me see. Oh, stop that. Okay. Is he gone? <laughs> it's gone. You're good. Uh, so, uh, so I like using, I like using, I know he's a controversial, uh, controversial guy and it, uh, but I think that's, that's really, really, uh, when he was at the height of his career, that was the point, right? You know, everyone creates this plan on how they're going to tackle this, this challenge. And uh, you feel real good and confident about it until the first punch in the mouth comes and then you have to think about it. And I think that happens with teams too, because teams will start to implode uh, once the punches start. <laughs> so I think it's, uh, I think it's very interesting to remember, uh, to remember that resilience is probably, and today with the situation we're in right now, resilience is probably one of the most important things, um, you know, I've learned over the years, you just got to keep going. So I've already spoken way too much. I'm going to mute myself whether you want me to or not. And uh, I throw it out to, to uh, the moderators to get the conversation started. Okay. Um, maybe I will get the ball rolling here and then please do ask questions, uh, everyone. Yeah. Um, so actually, I'm, as you were speaking, uh, one of the things that struck me obviously is that the vast experience you've had working in the public sector. Um, and there's an impression out there that, you know, things in the public sector are slower and it's much more difficult to build consensus and build sponsorship and so on. Um, do you want to speak to that? Well, I think, you know, I think they're not, things are not definitely not slower. Um, I think that things are incredibly busy. The building consensus I've seen, I've seen it's difficult to build consensus uh, in, in the, organizational sense, not in, not in your teams. I mean, the teams and those who are sitting at the table, I mean, we're all here to try to solve the same problem. Uh, it was challenging at the TTC when it came to doing that, just from the size of the organization. The, there's so many priorities the, the, that it's hard to get everybody behind a huge business transformation project. But I'll tell you if, if you, if you scale it down to projects within divisions, specifically related to solving one division's problem, then things could move pretty quickly if the leader was prepared to lead. Um, if things didn't get in the way, politics or others, or change in direction, um, you, could, you could probably move pretty quick and they look to you to be agile. But um, so I think the answer is yes and, yes and no. Uh, I've, I've worked with, uh, with people in the private sector when I've gone out to do some other, other things. I don't see any uh, you know, harder working people than the ones that are working in the public sector. 
Um, but there is more freedom in the private sector because when you come, when it comes to uh, oversight and governance, that's the place where the where the public sector gets challenging. And uh, it, the TTC it definitely got challenging, and it got worse as as time progressed. Uh, for for so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I liked your quote uh, about sharing ownership with the business of the business problem. And I think probably that goes a long way if you can actually build that um, perception within the business, right? So For sure, for sure. It's, I, it, it is really um, the thing that separates IT from a technology group to actually a value delivery group. And you need to, if you're just a technology group, then, you know, honestly, you become irrelevant real quick. When you become value delivery, um, <clears throat> then everyone's calling you, right? It, 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 it's almost becomes, uh, you become a victim of your own success, but that, that's what you want to be, right? You want to be that. I mean, you want to be uh, relevant and, and um, it, it's important for your career. It's important. I mean, career-wise, blah, 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 who cares? It's important for the IT shop. It's important for them to feel like they're delivering for the business. Anthony, uh, just just a question from your perspective. Uh, I mean, we're obviously seeing a whole new set of dynamics in terms of working from home. Uh, as we trust and hope things will settle back to uh, normal, I guess it'll never be a normal. Uh, what what do you think the future will look like uh, in terms of uh, sort of people people's approach to working? Uh, you know, what type of impact uh, will we see? continuation of people working from home, uh, et cetera. What, what, what's your view? Yeah, I've, I had, uh, I had a, uh, a meeting yesterday with, um, with a group of CIOs uh, across uh, uh, Toronto. And you know, this was part of the conversation with Peter Coffey, who's kind of a, a famous guy, futurist kind of works with Salesforce. We talked about what that's going to be. And I, I think there's a couple of things. There's the obvious practical things, right? Anyone who was the deciding to buy a new office building because they needed to expand is probably thinking again right now uh, when it comes to that. Uh, certainly, uh, I think we've, we've demonstrated in, a, in not every case, in many cases, that working remotely, uh, people can be effective. I'm not going to say as effective yet because I'm not sure the ones who were doing it before were as effective as they were going to be. Um, I think the ones who are uh, learning right now is, uh, is that there, it can be effective working uh, remotely. Um, I do think, however, that, and let's leave aside the pandemic piece. I mean, that has to normalize before anybody's going to feel comfortable to do anything. And I, I, let's leave that aside. I think the lasting change is going to be um, more people working remote, more touchdown spaces versus office spaces, which we should have been going there anyway. Many modern buildings are like that. Um, and I think work teams are going to be created. Uh, I think it's going to be, they're going to be a lot more, a lot more flexible. Um, what's it going to look like? Is, is, does it mean everyone is going to work remotely forever? I don't think so. I think we had that a few years back where I, and I've spoken to the private sector folks about this a lot as well, where they had development teams all over the world and they spent millions of dollars to get them to sort of work remotely. And they found that, after a while, the efficiency and effectiveness was starting to wane. So I think there's still going to be a need for places to bring people together. But I believe independent remote working is going to, um, it's going to be you know, much broader uh, acceptance than it was in the past. And the last thing, 
I think, and I, I don't mean to say it's not a generational thing. People always point that a generational thing. I don't think it's a generational thing. Um, some managers, so I, I make a big distinction between leaders and managers, two different things. Uh, some managers really can't believe that their team are, are productive unless they can touch them, see them, and watch them work between eight and four, and they're sitting at their desk, and they believe that's productivity. And it's, it's presentism versus absenteeism. They're there, but they're not necessarily uh, delivering. I think what people are learning now, it's really about goal setting, supporting your team, and, and uh, really understanding where you're supposed to be going. And you can get very productive teams uh, working remotely. My, I, I'm currently working with the, with the procurement folks at Richmond Hill, and I, they barely, they've barely missed a beat. Everything they were doing at the office, they're doing remotely. They barely missed a beat. I'm Anthony. It's Ray. Ray Gilbert. Hi, Ray. Hi. I wanted, I wanted to ask a question because you, you highlighted that your career journey took you from sort of being a techie to ultimately inheriting leadership. Um, but one of the things you mentioned is coaching, and it's really a 20-year career. Have, have you noticed a change or gap in the people that sort of approach you for coaching or those you interact with? Is it, is it the same today as it was 10 years ago from the kind of challenges they feel and the kind of coaching they're looking for? Do you see some differences? I do see differences. Um, some of the folks that were, you know, I would talk to years ago were, were in the camp of, you know, they wanted the next big thing, but I don't think they were ready to actually sacrifice to be able to, to, to get there. I think, I think the people who I'm talking to today, and I have uh, about three people who I'm mentoring specifically right now, as well as, as doing some coaching for more, more senior folks, I would say it's coaching than, than, than uh, mentoring. But for the people I'm mentoring today, I mean, they, they want to sit down. They want to make a plan. They want to talk about um, real struggles in, that they're thinking about. They're not necessarily all career-oriented. Some of it is just talking about dealing with some very challenging life things. So I, I think they find, and, and I also noticed that they're also working maybe even with more than one mentor, depending on what their, what, you know, what their goal is. So, yeah, I think, I think in the past, it was almost like, help me in my career. What should I do in my career and all the rest? Now I think people are looking for more, more rounded advice. Maybe because I got more gray hair than I used to. They figure I didn't know nothing back then. Now I got all these wrinkles and gray hair. It's like, oh, wow, I must have been through the ringer, this guy. Um, but, and not wrong. But uh, no, but I, I do believe it's, it's, a more, it's a more structured and I think more lawyer-oriented mentee that's approaching uh, these days. And, um, I, and I, I just really enjoy having conversations and, and talking. I, I really believe in learning by telling stories. And that's why when they said, oh, you wanna, you wanna have a chat today? It's like, well, how much time you got? Because uh, I wanna hear your stories. As remember, as I said, you know, it's learn, teach, learn, right? I'm, I wanna hear everybody's stories. But, I think by telling stories, people can put themselves, it's like watching a movie. You can put yourself in there and think about what you would be feeling, what you would be doing, how you would be reacting, and, uh, and then you learn from that process. And uh, that's what I'm seeing today, different than what I saw, say, you know, uh, early 2000s, end of the 90s. Yeah, okay. 
I think one of the things um, I think we've observed in some of the other sessions we've had here with TechConnects is this, the challenge of to retain and attract staff. They're often newer staff, newer generational staff. They seem to be looking for social value uh, in, in the conversation um, that they see a, an alignment with whatever they're doing or wherever they're going has some larger value than just, um, you know, the selfish payback. So that seems, I think that's pretty common, but have you seen it? Do you see it in the people you're hiring? Yeah, I, I, and I, no, I think that aligns with uh, what I was saying before, but Ray, you're much more eloquent and smarter than I am. So you actually uh, put it in a nice uh, package. I think, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that, that that alignment is probably why they want to talk about more than just, uh, you know, how much money I'm going to make and where's my career going to go. And it's more about how good do I feel about what we're working on right now. And, and I think that's back to the saying the difference between a manager and a leader. You know, a manager wants to reward people for the things they do. I think a leader wants to have people uh, continue to develop and, uh, and really more feel like they have an achievement. <clears throat> I've always said, if you want people to, to, uh, to really have satisfaction at work, you can give them another week's vacation and you can give them another hundred bucks a week, a week or whatever. Yeah, that's going to be okay for a while, but then they'll kind of get used to it. I think it's really to make sure people understand how what they do every day really contributes to the success of the business and helping them to believe in the business. Um, once you have that, then, uh, you know, obviously people want to develop and move on. It doesn't mean you have them forever, but uh, it certainly means they come to work with the job satisfaction as well as feeling comfortable in their, comfortable at work, not feeling like they, uh, you know, they're just coming to book time. So uh, it, it is really important to make sure that from whichever part of your organization, the, the employee or your team member, call them whatever you want, is working, uh, they understand how they align. And I think that's leadership, helping people to understand how they align, how what they do is important every day, builds that job satisfaction, and does draw people to stay. Um, I mean, they're good. obviously, you want to build them as strong as they can be. They move on to the next job. That's your ultimate goal. But while they're there, you want them to be happy to work with you. Hi, Anthony. This is uh, Prasad. Uh, you, you <clears throat> I'd, I'd be interested to learn from you. You know, you did all this work with the TTC, and you know where and their work with, or your work with them, and then you know the province of Ontario, uh, and then now you're working for the city of Richmond Hill, and then. You know the the extension of that is again work with Ontario. How has uh, working with Ontario changed between the time you were at the TTC and now? Uh, let's ignore the the current COVID nineteen virus situation, but even the run up to it, uh, working with Ontario, a lot of it could be considered political. But I'd be interested just from a, a an IT perspective, how things have changed over the the last many years. Well, from a TTC perspective, let me, you know, just talk about that. Um, back in the 90s, uh, Ontario made what I think was a crappy decision and uh, stopped funding uh, the operating budget for the, the TTC. And I think it continues to be a political football. When we need votes, we're going to spend billions of dollars and build a couple of subway stations. And then uh, after that, we'll stop funding it properly. Um, I think the, the fact, the lack of, in the last 40 years, uh, 50 years, 
the lack of consistent funding and build funding for the TTC has been I, has been the reason for the traffic catastrophe we have. Maybe COVID-19 is going to, you know, have less people driving around, give transit a chance to deliver better. Uh, so that's, you know, I can go on for another hour about the, the dissatisfaction with that, but let's leave that political, leave the politics out. Um, it, from an IT perspective, working with the province, I'll tell you, we, we didn't work with them very, um, very much, except uh, in before they were kind of more of a nebulous kind of group we stayed away from. Eventually, they started building things like buying cooperatives. So let's call them purchasing cooperatives, right? So we, we jumped on board on those things anywhere. And the same with the city of Toronto, the city of Toronto and the TTC, as well as the province, as well as anybody uh, in that space. Um, you know, we would, we would constantly have the next uh, uh, um, consultant or auditor show up and say, well, you guys should be purchasing together. We've been, TTC and, and the city of Toronto have been purchasing telecom services together since the 80s. Um, none of that stuff is new. So I think that's where alignment with the province was working well. Uh, being able to use the buying power for Microsoft, things like Oracle and all the rest of those things, we did as a collective and we did that for years. So that was, that was nothing, uh, nothing new. Um, now the province is also putting together, and, and this is more moving towards Richmond Hill, uh, the province is also putting together um, some good material regarding going digital, regarding providing online services, and starting to tackle the things like um, uh, um, doing, you know, uh, privacy impact assessments and having more templates and guidelines. And they do have a whole digital strategy that's actually available for people to use. That's relatively simple. Like it's, it's let's not say simple, but let's say logical, um, you know, on how to make those types of decisions. So. Other than that, um, do we as an entity spend a lot of time working with the province? No. Uh, do, we def do we definitely seek out what they're up to when it comes to uh, saving money anywhere we can? Absolutely. As well as there's any framework that helps us to get closer to, uh, to a solution uh, that they've developed, we're going, to, we're going to analyze that first. We have to make sure it's fit for purpose and fit for size, right? Because something that's this big for the province might not be so... Again, I don't want to bog down. We talked about frameworks and methodologies earlier. Um, you need to right size it for what you're doing. But at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, you want to go through those steps to understand. That's pretty much the, the extent of how, uh, and let's not talk about AODA. It's uh, awesome, but it's been a lot of work for, for me since it came out, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, however long it's been, uh, to align with AODA. So it's definitely something necessary, but it's been a lot of work. Um, Anthony, it's Ray again. Um, I was wondering if I could ask the, the group at TechConnects has uh, got an interest in growing growing businesses, the ones we've got and the ones we work with, interact with. Um, you've gone really from a public, I'll call, if I may call it TTC, more of a public service, running a utility, transit utility actually, um, to something that's closer to, to like really satisfying voters, I think would be the best way to describe a municipality. Um, are there things on the business development agenda that you're seeing among yourself and your peers in the, in the province? I'm sure you talk to you, the other municipalities. Are there things in the, that you're working on, focused on, hoping for? Can you give us some insight what, what's going on there? What kind of thinking is taking place? 
I think I think the the well there's there's two things we talked <clears throat> we talked about um, moving more uh, towards a digital space, but I, I think it's most people who pay you know pay their taxes are looking for a couple of things. Uh, there there's the shiny baubles people talk about, and and uh, you know I'm, hopefully I'm uh, I'm in a place where uh, people accept what I say as as uh, as it's given, but. You know, the idea of paying taxes in Bitcoin seemed to be a very important uh, thing because that's supposed to be progressive. Uh, and I think the organization that has been doing that successfully so far has had two people pay their taxes in Bitcoin and it's the same person for two tax years. So I, I think it's, I think there's those shiny baubles that everybody thinks is progress because they, um, Again, uh, sorry, I use analogies that that uh, maybe are maybe not always uh, good for such a group. And this is being recorded, so I'm going to be careful. But you know, somebody read it on a magazine. It's the it's the next great thing, and this is what we must do. And I think that's the showy part. I think as a taxpayer, what I'm looking for is the same as what I want to make sure that the citizens of Richmond Hill are getting, and that's getting the services they expect in the easiest possible way, and being able to, um, you know. A lot of times when some, somebody just wants to know, hey, how's that coming along? How's my, how's my permit coming? How's my uh, garbage pickup coming? You know, how are those types of services coming? So I think what's going to be really important is us to continue to move to digital so then we can expose how our service, how well our services are working, as well as make it easy for people to, to know what services are available and then to, to use them, to consume them. Um, because they're paying the bill. I mean, they're already paying their tax bill. Um, we had another one that that seemed to be it was interesting. It sounds like it's it's a it sounds like a, a a great win, and then when we started looking around, we saw that not many people were doing it. And that was the well, we needed to be able to pay our taxes online with a credit card. And uh, you know, we went to talk to other municipalities, bigger ones who've been doing it longer. They had a two percent uptake. So when I look at a limited uh, budget, am I going to spend? Uh, you know, this huge amount of money for a 2% uptake, or should we be focusing on transforming another part of our business to help the citizen? So I think it goes, it, you know, it, more of being able to have them consume our, our, our um, services easier and having to understand what's available and visibility into what they're doing. So we're in the process of uh, finishing a project, a long, painful one. That's one of those things we have a separate conversation about but will allow us to eventually put permitting online. People can apply for their permits, certainly the simple ones. Um, the, none of this stuff is earth shattering. Other organizations have done it. Um, parking tickets, adjudicating parking tickets online has been a huge boost. Uh, we've gone from taking three to six weeks to taking three to six days to get parking tickets settled uh, when somebody wants to kind of put up their hand and say, I'm not sure that's a fair ticket. Um, so it's created you know, a lot of efficiencies in using technologies that are available to solve these problems, as well as booking, uh, you know, booking recreation and uh, and those types of things uh, online, able to deal with surges and all the rest of it. So, to answer to answer your question, I think the the best way to serve our citizen, and again, it's aligning with our business, obviously, because IT doesn't face to face serve the citizen, is to make service consumption easier. And obviously, to stay as efficient as possible when it comes to the taxpayer's dollar. So, uh, Anthony Jamal here. Uh, just staying with that theme a little bit. 
And from where you're sitting, how far away do you think we are from online voting? Because I've seen it's taking shape in municipalities around the world, but obviously, you know, going at a national level will take much longer. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah I, th I think with online voting, it's a couple of things. First, legislation has to has to start that, right? I mean, we have to have solid legislation for, you know, that goes from federal, provincial, municipal. The governance around it has to be, it's, you know, it's it was like if everybody remembers 10 years ago, moving to the cloud and can I put my Canadian data in a cloud that's got the Patriot Act around it, blah, blah, blah. And we've been, you know, having that debate forever. And no solid guidance came from the federal government. No solid guidance came from anywhere. So somebody could point at it and say, so I think we kind of oozed into it. I mean, we're doing it anyway, but, um, but I think this is a place where this is our democracy we're talking about. Uh, this isn't a place that can have half a measure. So I think if, if legislation is passed, if the guidelines around it are created, and then it comes to, uh, it comes to trust in the technology. I think that that's the other piece, right? Um, so, We've, I've, like we had auto automated counting is now exists, right? I mean, the fact that the, you can just slip it into the machine, it scans it, it takes the vote and, and counts faster. So we get our results quicker. There's still a piece of paper that be, can be hand counted in case we've had some kind of strange uh, happening. Um, but I think like everything else, Jamal, it's coming because who would have thought people would be moving hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars around, you know, on their uh, on their computer personally, not phoning the bank for a while, but just doing it yourself. Uh, and people are confident in that. So I think if we can, as we move, uh, progress towards more acceptance of technology, and again, COVID-19, I hate pointing at that same monster again, but it's getting people used to the idea. Um, I think we're only probably an election or two away before... Uh, we'll at least have it accepted, maybe not widespread yet, but it'll start, it'll start, it's certainly in our lifetime, but I, I think we're only an election or two away. Great, thank you. I'm, I'm also looking at the time here and being uh, respectful for everyone's time. We're approaching the bottom of the hour. Um, if there are no final sort of questions from anyone, then I will take the opportunity to thank Anthony for making the time uh, to come and share his uh, thoughts and perspective with us. And uh, I'll hand it over to you, Kelly. Uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you uh, again, Jamal, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony, for um, coming on here. Or sorry, Ray, did you want to talk? Yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to be. We're being, too, we're being too kind, Anthony. We expect him to come back and see us again. <laughs> in person, join, yes. join one of our sessions <laughs> yeah i uh no no problem this uh, this is a great group i think we've had it we had a good discussion i and thank you for putting up with me for for this much you guys let me you let me speak way too much oh uh, no now i'm done kelly thank you <laughs> thank you um no i i'd like to say thank you to anthony it was a, a great story and you know it, it's nice to sometimes just have that change and, and listen to a story especially with everything that is going on right now i think sometimes we just need to get on to other things as well so so thank you very very much um from a TechConnect perspective i'm in the process of getting may all of the uh, items onto the calendar so you'll see that shortly some stuff is going obviously we're still online and uh, we appreciate everybody joining us 
online. This is a, a transformation for us being face-to-face. -face. So we've had to adapt and, and it seems to be going pretty well. We have tomorrow a lunch and learn session um, from 11 to 12. We know, I know Anthony, you touched a little bit on people moving their money around. Uh, Dominic Connick from Webs Depot is going to talk about as cybersecurity. Right now, we know hacks are up 40%, including both personal and business. So to try to keep yourself a bit safe uh, with everybody at this point, worrying about money coming in and going out. We have Peter McCabe at ProLink Insurance talking about how you can um, uh, protect your business's balance sheet. And then last but not least, we have Frank Pallotta, who is going to be talking about all the government economic relief. I know it had been thrown out there and there's changes nonstop. He's going to talk about kind of how you navigate through them. I know there's a lot of confusion and people are getting online and trying to figure all of that out. And then stay tuned. We're actually planning a lunchtime social for everybody to get on and just relax and, and do something. We're going to play a few games and just chat about something different. So that's coming up in the very, very beginning of May. So stay tuned to that. Other than that, did I miss anything, Ryan, John? Yep. Uh, the next, uh, the next CIO peer group will be uh, Monday, uh, May 25th. Um, we have uh, Graham Binks. Um, he's kind of a, a journeyman CIO. Uh, he's, I think 30 years plus being a CIO uh, with a lot of different tech companies. And he's also an author. So he just wrote uh, his third book, uh, The Non-Tech um, Imperatives of Technology Success. So he's going to talk about, uh, you know, some of his journey, some of the books and um, stuff that he's worked on. So that will be uh, May 25th uh, at 8.30 uh, with Grand Bank. So I, I hope everybody will join us for that one as well. Excellent. And, and same as usual, sign up online and we'll send you the link the day before. So thank you to everybody for joining us. We hope you have a fantastic day. Uh, I would say stay warm today. It's a little chilly out there and don't get caught in the uh, hurricane that it seems to be going out there. So everybody have a fantastic day and we look forward to seeing you again online. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.